Welcome to This Professional Life, a podcast by Convos Media about trending topics related to all things in the professional services world, from lawyers to accountants and other business-to-business service providers. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris. And on today's show, I chat with Heather Barnhouse, partner at Denton's, the world's largest law firm. People keep reaching out to you. Like, what are some of the key things, aside from podcasting, because we're doing that right now, but like, what else are you doing to ensure you're top of mind? Yeah, so good question, and I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ignore the podcast because I think it has been important and, and significant. And one of the reasons for that, as as you said, is it's this requirement to stay top of mind, kind of like the day you know you don't pick the day that the bus is gonna hit you, you yep. don't pick the day that you're gonna have a stroke in the elevator, you don't know those things, you don't necessarily know when you're gonna need your lawyer, or you don't necessarily know when your friend, when you're gonna hear your friend say, oh, I have this legal problem or whatever. I wanted to interview her for this podcast because Heather's approach to business development, client relations, and digital content has helped her build a very successful practice at Denton's. More so, a lot of her tactics and approaches can be used whether you're an entrepreneur looking for ways to grow your business or a business services professional looking to grow your practice. Prior to founding Convos Media, I was the senior manager of business development at Denton's. And one of the very first ideas I pitched to the firm was to launch a podcast. Over 100 lawyers who looked at the pitch, Heather was the first and one of the very few who took me up on the offer of doing a podcast. As I worked with Heather Moore, I found that she had a unique way of building her practice and was always ahead of the game when it came to keeping her professional profile top of mind in the business world. Many of her approaches can be applied to other situations, whether you're an entrepreneur trying to grow your business or professional looking to grow your practice. What's interesting is that Heather didn't actually know she wanted to be a lawyer at a young age. In fact, her first degree was in the sciences and she had a dream of becoming a dentist and focused her studies on starting that career. But something interesting happened during her first years at university that would set her on a path to a successful career in law. I always wanted to have a job that would be a challenge, that would be fun, that you'd, you know, you'd work with a whole bunch of different people. And so I think those are some of the reasons why I thought it would be fun to be a dentist. I guess I wasn't like smart enough to know that you would play around in people's mouths all day and (laughs) lots of people would like hate the dentist and they try to bite you. So I wasn't, I wasn't a very smart kid. So I was very focused on sciences because I wanted to go um, and into dentistry. And then in in probably my third third or fourth year of university, you have to write um, the dental admission test, the DAT. And that's really to suss out whether you have any aptitude whatsoever to be a dentist. And it turns out I don't. So um, you have to do, so you have like, there's some science questions, there's some like reading comprehension, all of that. But in addition, there's this whole thing about, do you have spatial awareness? So they would take, for example, a cube and they would show you the cube unfolded. And then they would show you, they would, you know, multiple choice, pick the, the picture of the cube all folded up. And I'd be like, oh, is that really a cube? Like I couldn't, I couldn't really like figure it out. And then there was also this soap carving that you had to do. And right. they would, it was this like cylinder. I about those for dentists. Yeah. I don't think they do them anymore. Like, I think I was just, I think I could have been a dentist if I started today, but I would get this piece of soap and you would have to like carve it so many millimeters in and, you know, like do all these different things. And I would just like break the soap, like the soap would be like broken in half and they only give you one. Right. So, uh, so it turned out I had zero aptitude to being a dentist. And then, and then I was, it was kind of this like turmoil because I didn't, I had no plan B. I'd never thought of anything else that I should do. Um, because I was so convinced that I wanted to be a dentist. Then after I finished my um, first degree in, in sciences, I did this environmental health after degree. Um, and I did that because 
also growing up, I had been this pool rat. I lived and breathed swimming my whole life. And we dealt with environmental health officers, sometimes known as public health inspectors. And they, you know, dealt with more than pools, but I was familiar with them through my pool life. And so I did that. It was a one year after degree. And then I worked for Health Canada. We had jurisdiction exclusively on the First Nation, within the First Nation communities. So we would go out to all these different communities and we would do these inspections. And then I, in that year that I did that, and then in the meantime, I'd figured out that maybe I should apply for law school. So I'd written the LSAT and kind of, you know, been down that path. But during that time, I realized that the learning curve for being an environmental health officer was straight downhill and it wasn't challenging. It wasn't like, it was very routine very quickly. And so I realized that that wasn't going to be a very good fit. But also in that, I really enjoyed the, there was a general sort of legal, um, it was taught by a lawyer. It was like, I don't know, legal implications for public health. And that was very interesting. And I realized, oh, <clears throat> there's actually a lot of different things you could do in law. There's a lot of different opportunities, a lot of different options. So that became my plan B. What some of those different options, like did any of them like catch your eye, the different options in law or did all of it just interest you? Um, so that's a very good question too, because when I was interested in being in dentistry, I also thought that it would be fun to own your own business. And I, th- I think I just thought in my, in my head that all dentists like own their own clinic and they hire their own staff and they, you know, they're responsible for their people. And so I was also very interested in the business of, and, and, you know, lots right. of different businesses. And, and that was one of the things that, that wasn't very fun for me in that environmental health job was you were just a government worker. You just went and like you did some things, but there was no like game to it. There was no business. There was Mm. no, you know, no opportunity. So when I went to law school, I actually did a combined law MBA degree because I knew that I was very interested on that, on that business side. And so, um, I knew coming. So when you finish law school, you have to article for a year and the law society makes you do like a certain number of hours in corporate, a certain number of hours in litigation. And this is very common that people will come out of law school and they'll be like, I know I want to be a litigator or I know, you know, I want to do real estate. And you actually don't like you actually have no idea. (laughs) And so it's very common that articling students will be like, I was dead set on, you know, whatever. And then they do that and they're like, actually, like, I want nothing to do with that. And instead, I'd rather do something else. So when I came out of law school, I knew I wanted to do corporate because I knew I had the interest in business. And, you know, I I spoke a little bit of business from having done my MBA. and, And so when I was... In my articling rotation, I started in corporate. And so you do about six months in corporate and then um, six months in litigation. But in my litig- at the end of my corporate rotation, I got put on this file and, and in a big transaction. And the way, what I now know is this is very common that transactions, like they don't all wrap up in a nice pretty bow in the timeline that one thinks it will. And so um, that was in about... December, we were moving to the litigation rotation in January, and this deal was supposed to close at the end of the year. It didn't, and then it was supposed to close a couple weeks later, and then a couple weeks later. And so I never got pulled off that deal. And so, and then it didn't close till April. So I really didn't have very much of a litigation rotation to the point, like I've never been to court. I've never been to a discovery. I've ne- I don't know anything. Like I right. know nothing <laughs> about litigation, but that was okay because I, I don't need to because of the, you know, because of the type of law that I now do. So yeah, I always knew that I wanted to be, once I landed in law school, I knew that I wanted to focus on the corporate, not on the litigation. Right. Now I want to take a, just a bit of step back here on the entrepreneurial side. Mm -hmm. Did you have any influences on the entrepreneurship side of kind of your, your passion for, for doing this? Like, did, did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? Like, 
No. So, but yes. So <laughs> did not grow up in an entrepreneurial family. The reason why that was a really good fit was also was because of my little lifeguarding job. So I talked about how I was a pool rat and I grew up swimming and I went on to become a lifeguard and I put myself through law school by lifeguarding, teaching swimming lessons. And that turned into, uh, I had the opportunity to compete in lifeguard competitions, like locally, nationally, internationally. And the, the pool that I, well, the pool that I ended up working at and the people that I ended up working at were also in university and to this day continue to be like my best friends. So you know, there was the computer, the guy that was in computer science, there was the engineers, there was the occupational therapist, there was the people that were in education. And we all like grew up together. We all like went to university. We all hung out. We all worked together. And they are the most entrepreneurial people ever. Mm. And so they were all like, hey, we have this business idea. And I'd be like, um, actually, like, I, I don't I don't think that one's particularly legal. Like, maybe we should go back to the drawing board. And right. so I grew up with all these people and had, you know, sort of been part of their ventures and there, there's this actually really funny story of the one guy who's like the serial entrepreneur who he's, he's just like gold, like everything he touches turns to gold, but he should never be in charge of naming companies because he comes up with the dumbest names <sighs> ever. And he started up this, this business that, that was like part, uh, like cell phone. So it was like, and that's not exactly a front, but it was like, like a little kiosk in a mall kind of concept, but it was in this strip mall. And he was selling these cell phones, but he also had this because he had invented this security feature. And so it was like, how do you, it was like early days of remote security. Right, so how do right. you set up a, a home security system and be able to access it off your like flip phone right back in the day? And, and he had invented this technology. And so he was selling both. He was selling, he was the retailer for the cell phones and he had this component. And, and he, I remember his, his, he brought his dad over, um, to help him like lay flooring. So it was like the whole thing, like they had to do it all. And of course he recruited all of us to help all these different things. And, and I helped him negotiate the lease. And so he said to me, you know, this one day, Hey, the, the grand opening is going to be on Saturday afternoon. Do you want to stop by? So I said, sure. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll stop by. The, day, the night before, so on Friday night, he phones me and he said, I, I don't know what to do. And I was like, you haven't even opened your store yet. Like, how, how, how are you in trouble already? And he said, well, I have this amazing offer. Someone wants to buy my business. And right. I was like, this is, this is like a world record for the most amount of goodwill accumulated per, well, wait, you're not even open. So anyway, so then I did the, the transaction for him and he sold for like squillions of dollars, this, yeah. this company that he hadn't even opened the doors yet. Um, be based, based on a good idea. And then of course he, he's done that multiple, you know, right. multiple times over and over again. So I would say that's the influence from the entrepreneurial side is all the people that I hung out with and grew up with. Yeah. I want to know about how that translate into your work as a lawyer and having that entrepreneurial, I guess, background and, and passion for entrepreneurship. Has that helped in yes. the work you do, the client work you do? I would say it's helped in a couple of ways. Um, the first is, I think it's just good, uh, what's the word, like good background for speaking their language. Because right. there's this thing about entrepreneurs where, this is a generalization, of course, um, they, all, they all have this passion. Like they start up their business because they're passionate about whatever. And they only ever need one more corner. Like the sun is always going to shine just around the next corner, the next corner, the next time, yeah. right? So challenge, 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 they have to be resilient and they keep going because they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're nearly there. We're just about to like, it's going to, you know, we're going to get to our hockey stick growth right away. We just need one more good thing to happen. And they all have that and, and they all sort of 
believe that fundamentally. Otherwise, they I don't think they could be in business for themselves. So it just helps to understand like the psyche of, of that and of knowing that that's what they're, and there's a little bit of like an adrenaline rush that I think they love. They mm-hmm. love the, you know, the challenge and then overcoming the challenge and kind of moving on. So that's the first way. I think it just helps to understand that and to have some empathy for the process and for right. what they're, what they're going through. But the second way that I think it's, it has helped is, and I never would have believed this, or I never would have like recognized this back in the day. It's been a business development goldmine because so my, my little buddy that, you know, sold his business the day before it actually opened, he, of course, he's an engineer. He, of course, has like 500 engineering friends. And so when he has a good outcome, he introduces me to all of his buddies. And when you do business development, like there's, you know, there's an easy way to do it. There's a hard way to do it. Uh, everybody has to find the way that works for them. But but it was like it was no effort for me because I just got to go and hang out with my buddies. Right. And I got to, you know, we, he would introduce me to these people and, you know, we we would go out and we'd do whatever, we'd have drinks. And when you have that warm introduction from someone who thinks, you know, he's grown up with me as well, he he knows, you know, lots of stuff. What a great connection to be able to Absolutely. capitalize on for, for somebody else. And so you could hang out with your friends. Uh, there was a business aspect to it, completely unknown that that was what was going to happen. But the, of course, the more that happens, the more that happens. Yeah. So you, you know, you, you do work for this guy. He introduces you to that guy. You do work for him. He, he has right. three other friends and probably I would say at least 50% of the business that I still do comes back from my pool. That days. original yep. relationship. Yep. Well, and there's, the, there's also, you know, to the point where he is comfortable in mm-hmm. referring you to, you know, his business network as well. Right? That's right. Like it. I feel like if you didn't have that empathy or that understanding of how best to work with entrepreneurs, even as a close friend, I think maybe there's not that comfort. Like, ooh, yeah, know, to- like totally. Heather might not be able to, you know, service my my friend really well, or you know. Right. So, so there's that trust, right? That you understand how entrepreneurs work. So totally, that's super valuable there. The other the other thing, and this is related to that, but the, when you think about, and and this is just probably luck. At the pool that I worked at, you tend, I mean, again, this is generalization, but you tended to work the same shifts. So like my buddy Martin and I, we always work this Friday night shift and you get to know the people who, you know, generally show up at that time. And lots of them were business owners. Lots of them, you know, worked for companies and they get to know what you're doing. You know, it can be boring when you, when there's one person sitting in the hot tub. So you just chat with these people and they have they have business needs as well. And they're like, oh yeah, like I can get some free legal advice because you're standing on the pool deck. And so lots of them turned into clients as well. In fact, that's basically how I ended up at Denton's was I taught swimming lessons to two of the partner's kids. Uh, And and I didn't know what firm they were like, in law school, you don't have a clue what firm means what. And they were like, oh, you should definitely come and interview. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, really? Maybe. Like, sounds like a good idea. But if I didn't know them, would Denton's have been on my radar? Probably not. Right. So, so it's funny how like all coming from, and, and we just had a great time at that pool. Like it was the most fun job. You're, you're in the middle of, you know, I mean, like there's some bad things that happen in first aid and stuff, but you're in the middle of a place where everybody's there to have fun. Everybody's there either for fitness, they're there to have fun. They're there for swimming lessons. Like it's a great place to be. Yeah. Now I, I've got a lot of questions for you for business development then, but we're going to hang, hang tight on that because I want to know. I've always been curious because, you know, we, we worked at Denton's together. And so I got to see, you know, these bright young minds come into the firm and, 
get their first exposure to, you know, private practice and what that all means. Talk a bit about your journey from, you know, that time between Ardkling and when you got your first offer as an associate. Yeah, it was just like one long process. So, so lots of people will article, you know, at firm X and then they'll, they know that they want to do something else and that they have this idea in mind. As soon as, like, as soon as I'd made up my mind that I wanted to be a Denton's, I, I didn't really think that there was anywhere else that I wanted to be. And so I was of course hoping, so you're trying to, you know, articling is like a year long interview. So you're hoping that you have more good than bad, um, so that you get offered a position. And I did. And I didn't get offered a position in the group that I originally, where I am right now. I got offered a, a different position and I wasn't very happy about that because almost like my dentistry thing, I had that set for like 18 years and then I was pretty focused on that. And so I knew what I wanted to do and the the position that was offered to me. So then I thought about, well, do I take this? Do I, you know, what do I do? But again, at that point, it's all about relationships. It's about the clients that you're working with. Um, and is the grass greener? I don't know. Right. Yeah. So so I took the position, um, but I didn't ever really, I, I still don't know what that group does um, to this day. So I never really did any work in that group. So I just kept doing what I was doing, even though I was physically located in, you know, in a different group. And then, and, and I don't know, maybe it was that they didn't like me at the time, but there wasn't space in that group. There wasn't like any room in that group. And so then, you know, probably about seven, eight months later, there was a space that opened up and then I had the opportunity to move to the group that I've, that I've, I'm now in and have been in for a long time. Um, but I saw that there was a future there and I saw that there was a fit, even if I wasn't, I didn't land exactly where I wanted. I still was close to, to where I ultimately mm -hmm. wanted to be. So were there any, this is, I always ask this because you've get, you got the Hollywood version <laughs> of what it's it means to join a private practice. And then you've got reality. Mm. Were there any crazy stories? Uh, as you're articling and, and trying to make your way into uh, an associate into the firm that you can share, I guess I should yeah, preface yeah. that. <laughs> um, there's always crazy stories like, you know, the Hollywood, this is the funny thing about, about I think life in general, but certainly about my practice is they couldn't make it up. Like Hollywood mm. couldn't make it up. The, the fact patterns that actually land on your desk are sometimes so, you know, so bizarre, so sort of strange that uh, they couldn't write that. They couldn't make that up. Right. Um, so, yeah. So the Hollywood is definitely not the reality. Um, but I guess in terms of the of the stories or the the fact patterns, I, I'll, I'll tell you one um, that has always struck me as like fascinating that it was like such a simple solution, but so much agony to get there. And, and, and I see this, I see iterations of this. Um, all the time. And I tell the story all the time um, because I feel like it sort of illustrates a, a point. So in the, when you talk about, so this is an entrepreneur story. This is a story about an entrepreneur and, and my client had started this business with his best buddy and they, they just started this company and, you know, you don't know any better. Um, and so, but he should have known better. And that's, that's the key here is he should have known better and to skip all the way to the end. Now he does know better. So he started this business, I don't know, like a, a long time ago. And he started with his best buddy and they didn't have anything in writing. And they're like, well, we're always going to be friends. Like, of course, we're always going to be friends. Mm. We're never going to fight with each other. We've known each other for like a hundred years. And there's no need for us to put anything in writing because like we know each other. So that's fine. So they started this business 50-50, nothing in writing. And um, 
as you probably know, um, if you in, in the Business Corporation Act, if you don't have some kind of a, a written agreement, 50-50 is a terrible position to be in because you don't have the power alone to even elect a director. You have to have a simple majority. And if you're 50-50, you don't, you don't hit that threshold. The big reason why lots of lawyers, including myself, um, profess about why shareholder agreements, unanimous shareholder agreements are a good idea. Document something, you've got a rule book, you yeah. can sort yourself out. So my little buddy comes along and he's like, well, of course not. Like that's ridiculous. Lawyers just want to make money. There's no need for that. Fine. And so his buddy gets married. And he marries like the craziest person <laughs> in the history of crazy people. And there's a lot of crazy people. So this guy marries this crazy woman and she is crazy and has an MBA. And so she thinks she's smarter than everybody else in the history of ever. And so now all of a sudden my guy's buddy, his partner, it, you know, he's getting the, the, the pillow talk about how they're together. They're so much smarter. They should take two thirds mm. of the profit because there's two of them. There's two brains. My guy's just, you know, one guy. So unsurprisingly, things start to go badly. He comes to me and he says, what can I do? And I was like, well, I don't think I knew him very well. I didn't know him very well at this time. And I said, do you have a shareholder agreement? He's like, no, no, like that's a waste of time. Don't need that. And I said, well, you can't do much. Like you could dissolve this business. They had just received this contract. Uh, I can't remember if it was provincial or federal government. It doesn't really matter. But it was like a $10 million contract to do this work. And he said, I am concerned about our ability to execute on this contract with all this drama, with all of this you know, stuff right. going on. And I really want to, I have the expertise. It was, it was actually in, the, uh, in an Indigenous group and, and they were doing some work. And he had the specialization of dealing with that clientele. The husband-wife team did not. And so this was really on him, but his ability to move forward when he wasn't getting responses was really, was really tricky. We, you know, we tried a bunch of different ways to bring them to the table. We tried some proposals about how we could, what might be fair. They had zero interest in, in responding. And so he was stuck. So I said to him, you know, let's maybe just think a little bit outside of the box about what, what we could do. And there wasn't much, like, unfortunately there's, there's not too much, but what we came up with was, well, let's try to initiate a conversation of signing a shareholder agreement. Let's start, we don't, we've never had one. Maybe we don't have a dispute right now. My guy definitely thought we had a dispute right now, right. but the other side did not. So maybe we don't have a dispute right now, but if we ever did, and things have changed, you're now married, you know, all these different things have happened. If we ever did have a dispute, how would we resolve that? And is it worth, you know, trying to put a rule book in place that we could, we could solve that? Very reluctantly, they agreed that we would negotiate this USA. So we did, and this was back in the day, you know, well before the pandemic, well before DocuSign. So we get to the point, like long, painful process. We get to the point of having this USA and it has a shotgun provision in it, which is truly the ultimate dispute resolution mm -hmm. mechanism. If you, if you hate the person, you can serve them with a shotgun notice and they have a choice either to accept it, in which case the person who originates gets 100% of the company, or if they don't like it, they have to buy you out at that price. So we got to the point where we had this USA and my guy, and this was the plan all along, was we, we, we met in our boardroom and we signed the USA and we served them with a shotgun notice immediately after. So now we have a USA and now I'm going to execute on my ultimate dispute right. resolution mechanism, which blew them out of the water. They somehow did not see that that was coming. And, and in that shotgun provision, there's some notice provision. Let's say it's, I think this one was, was 21 days. So if I serve you with the shotgun notice, you have 21 days to make your choice about whether you go or I go. And so my guy 
So we'd been through this whole painful thing. Life had been very difficult. And that 21 day period was probably the most stressful for him because he, in his mind, he was like, oh, I'm going to serve this guy. And he's going to tell me right away, like, I don't have the money. Mm. I'm out. But he didn't do that. And then he was like, oh my God, do I do the contract? Like, what do I do? Do I start this work? Because I might be gone in 21 days. I don't know if the guy's getting financing. So anyways, it ended up working out for my guy. He ended up king of the castle, 100%. And then he started several businesses since and always put a shareholder agreement in place. So that one is- So lesson learned. So lesson learned. So that one I think is- uh, just a like pretty simple story about like how how it can go wrong and then uh, innocuous but very aggressive outcome in terms of um, resolving it through what he should have had in the yeah. first place. Hey, I'm hoping you're enjoying the podcast at Convos Media. Our mission is to make growing your business a little bit easier, a little less stressful and a little bit more fun. Our goal is to build digital content to help business professionals and entrepreneurs build their business. Make sure to go to combosmedia.co to check out the content that we've created for this segment. You know, it's interesting because you and I have had a lot of discussions about this, but it's always clients coming to lawyers after the fact. Well, like, we, and I get it, you know, when we look at startups, yep. you know, you, you dedicate most of your capital to build your product, your service, like your marketing, your sales, you know, very, you know, you look at those, the, the legal bills and you have this perception that, oh my God, this is going to be an arm and a leg when I don't have enough money. 100%. But then two years down the road, when you are starting to gain a little traction, a little success, yep. you go, uh-oh, yep. that $3,000, $5,000 agreement yeah, that we could have made ahead yep. of time is now going to cost me $50,000 to fix. To fix this problem. See, That's- and I know we chatted about this a lot, but like always tough for companies to have that, as you said, insurance policy, preventative measures, yep. right? Like we don't typically do that as, I know. Like, as human beings. I know. I have I have two two things to say and, and I'll end with another story about why, yep. why, like, you know, what to think about. But one of the things that I think um, professionals, so this is, a, again, a complete generalization, but I think as professionals, it's easy, like it's easy for me to see the benefit of a shareholder agreement because I've seen a bazillion consequences of not having a shareholder agreement. And not to say that because you have a shareholder agreement, you're necessarily going to get a good outcome because nobody has a crystal ball. You don't exactly know what's right. going to happen, but at least you have a process. At least you have a rule book to follow in, in the future. And so you're better off. I don't think you're ever worse off. Um, but it's difficult to, to convince the entrepreneur resources are strapped. They're focused on getting out of the gate. They're focused on getting traction they don't intuitively understand that benefit or what the value is for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that as professionals, and it, it's, it's tough. I think it's, it's tough to, to demonstrate why there's value there and why they should divert their resources that they otherwise would spend on marketing or they would otherwise spend on whatever to getting their house in order. And some professionals, it's easy. And I don't, I don't think it's super into, unless you've been down this road before, I don't think it's very intuitive from a legal perspective. And I think that as professionals, we do a bad job of trying to communicate that value. You're just like, right. well, I should, you should have a shareholder agreement. Of course you should. But that's not intuitive to people. Whereas if you look at like a tax lawyer, their value proposition is if you do this plan, I will save you $50,000. It might cost you five, but I'll save you 50. Yeah. Well, that math is very easy. Very clear. Very clear. Entrepreneurs can figure out, I should engage this person because right. I'm going to, I have a quantifiable, you know, $45,000. I come out ahead $45,000. That is good. Mm. It's very difficult for, 
for us to say, if you have a shareholder agreement in place, that's an insurance policy and you might save yourself some headache and heartache in the future, but you might not. Yeah. Might not need it. You might not need it. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. And this one again, like I, I can't make this up. So (laughs) I was very, very junior. Um, and I was like, is this what my career is going to be like this? This was like one of those days. So this was back in the day when we were in, um, manual place and we were on the 29th floor and we had these, I was working with this, with this other senior lawyer and we had these guys come in just to incorporate this company. And it was these two young punks who allegedly were hairdressers. <laughs> and it was this old man who was this former MLA and he was investing in their business. So these two young punks, um, it was some like online gambling thing. This was back when online gambling was like such a fun, fun thing, new, you know, new and improved. I don't know. They had some technology, you know, they were going to invent this. And so these, these young punks, um, I think were drug dealers. I think that was like <laughs> what they really were. Um, but the front was they had this hair salon and they had convinced this old man that he should invest $3 million into their business. So, and I don't know what, what else he was going to do, but he was, he was the cash. I don't right. know who, where the brains were in this organization, but he was the cash of yeah. this operation. And so we set up this company and we said to them, hey, um, do you guys want to have a shareholder agreement? They're like, no, you guys are lawyers. All you want to do is make money. Well, we're always friends. Like, you know, him and I were buddies. We have this hair salon. This guy, he's, he's got this role simply to provide the financing. We don't need your help. No need for a shareholder agreement. Okay. So they leave our office and they get into the elevator, 29 floors, and the old man has a stroke in the elevator on the way down. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so we couldn't have had a shareholder agreement done in the time, right? But but it still illustrates the point. So by the time he hits the main floor, he is permanently disabled. This old man is permanently oh disabled. And he had given the $3 million that morning to the company. But wifey did not know that $3 million mm. of their estate or their of their, you know, um, savings was going into this business. She didn't know who these two clowns were. And these two clowns, they didn't really have a business plan. They didn't really, you know. So now we're in a situation where we, they each have one third of the shares. All three of them are appointed as directors, but now this guy's disabled. So it leaves the two young punks as the directors and they've got the $3 million. And the, and, and, and so then they wanted to buy the shares out. They wanted to kind of be rid of the wife right? and no trust. Like, negative trust, in fact. So these guys say yes. Wifey says no. Uh, they, you know, she says yes. It just is like litigation yep. central yep. Um, because there was no process to to deal with, well, what happens if you become disabled? You don't pick the day that you're going to have the yep. stroke in the elevator yep. on the way down from the lawyer's office after <laughs> talking about a shareholder agreement. But that's what happened. So it's, Crazy. I know, like, again, I couldn't make that up. I couldn't, you, you couldn't pay Hollywood See, to make that up. I was just going to say that would make for a great Hollywood episode on suits. On suits. On suits. On, where where Harvey Specter would handle everything because he's both corporate and litigation extraordinaire. I find that interesting, but it's, I mean, I love suits mm. from a entertainment it's standpoint. Very entertaining. But after working at Denton's, I'm like, yeah, that's like that that's doesn't work. No, that's not how that works. No. But you know, you. Gotta, we also, I think, Denton's have a policy that we don't hire people without law degrees. So Mike Ross also would have, yeah, would have had some trouble. Yeah, but. that would be hard to get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I want to talk about, you know, your, not so much about the journey from associate to partner, but like, you know, things that you could share uh, in terms of, you know, for new graduates coming in or new associates entering private practice, you know, what are some key things that they should really be focusing on, you know, should they want to continue and become partner and, you know, not go in house anywhere? 
so I think there's, I think there's a cup again, there's always a number of things. And I think, um, I think it depends on who you are. Like, I think you need to find the way that the practice works for you. And by that, I don't mean like, you know, the stereotypical millennial, like make it all about you all the time, but you need to find if you're going to survive, if you're going to be committed to this pathway, you've got to find a way that it works for you and that it's not inauthentic for who you are. You can't be pretending your, your Mm -hmm. whole way. And so you've got to find a way, like I found all my buddies, right? So I found a way to do some business development totally accidentally by still hanging out with my friends, by still being able to compete in lifeguard competitions, by still being able to, you know, to do all those things that were me beforehand. So I didn't have to give any of that up. Um, whereas if I thought, well, I have to go to some event and I've got to do business development from, you know, five to seven every day. And therefore I can't go see my buddies that wouldn't have lasted very long because there would have been this tension, um, where I am missing out. I feel like I'm missing out on, you know, on my friends, on Mm -hmm. my, on, on that. And so you've got to find a way you, you've got to do business development. You've got to, you've got to be able to find a way to feed yourself and to add value, you know, to the firm and to, to grow the business. And so you've got to find a way to do some business development, but you've got to find a way to do it in a way that works for you. So, and, and to do that, I think as, as your junior, I think you need to be exposed to as many things as you can. And so when a partner invites you, you know, come to this client pitch or come to this business development lunch or come to this seminar or go present at this thing, do all of that. Try, try not to say no. You're, you're going to have to say no, of course, sometimes, mm-hmm. but find the things that work for you. And I think that you have to do a lot of those things to know the things that work for you. And then once you find the things that work for you, do even more of that. And, and less of the things that, that don't work. And so you've got to find a way that works for you. You've got to find a way that, you know, like if you volunteer on a board, if you, you know, dance your whole life and now there's an opportunity with the, you know, Edmonton Ballet or whatever, and, and you can continue to be involved in, in, in projects or organizations that are meaningful to you, that's a great place to start because you're going to meet other people on that board. You're going to meet other, you know, other uh, potential clients. And so all of that works. So you have to find a way to do that. And, and I think that some people don't want to do that and they're, and I don't think they will be successful at a, right. at a big firm if they're not prepared to do some of that. And you don't learn that in, in law school. You don't really yeah. learn that in business was, school. And, was, and that comes to mind, you know, that was always a question about like, why isn't there a business development 101 at law school? Like and why, if, why isn't there uh, like the practice of law 101, yeah. how it's a business? I don't know. I don't know. But there should be. There definitely should there, be. There definitely needs to be. Right. Right. The second part of when you're, you know, when you're junior and you're becoming more senior is very much like do it all. Um, Get as much exposure as you can to different lawyers, to different clients, to different other professionals. So whether, you know, in my world, in the corporate world, we work with accountants all the time. We work with bankers. Get to know who they are. Get to know who their clients are and get to know how you can make them look good Mm. because they are going to be happy to refer work to you if you've made them look good. And it might not be that difficult. Like I, I remember one time when I was junior, I was like, did this, did this really happen? Like I went for lunch with this banker. There were some other people, but there was this banker and he was like, oh, like it's such a hard problem. This client, you know, we want to advance this loan um, to this guy or to this, this business, but he's not incorporated. And so until he's incorporated, you know, there's like this barrier and that barrier. And I was like, why don't we incorporate a company? It'll take, it'll cost you a thousand bucks and take an hour. And the guy was like, are you kidding? That's all? So we had a company incorporated for this guy that afternoon, which is super easy. Like there's people that we can just do that. And this guy like refers me so much work now Mm. on the basis of one hour 
Yeah. And a com- like we incorporate companies every day. It's not a big deal, but it's it's the most important thing for him right then. And you can't always do that. Yeah. But if I can solve your problem in a really simple way, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. And then I make him look good. He looks good to his team. And literally 10 years later, the guy is sending me like a file a week. Yeah. I think... I think a lot of professionals forget about that, right? Like it's, it's not about, I mean, when it comes to doing the work, yes, it's about your skills and your technical capabilities, but when it comes to building those relationships, it's not about you. No. Like it's about, as you said, make the other person look good. Right. But also what problem are you trying to solve? Like, don't forget about that. A hundred percent. And like in the, in that case, so that example, how do you incorporate, incorporate a company? Well, that's what I do. But if it was if it was a question that isn't in my skill set, in Denton's there is a lawyer almost certainly that can solve that problem. So let me do the heavy lifting of connecting you to the real estate guy or to to whatever it is, and they can still deal with me. They don't need to know that I had to pick up the phone and phone fourteen right. other lawyers yeah. to solve their problem. But they can just refer it to me and let me do that. But you have to do what you say you're going to do. Right. It, it's to that point about the relationship. If that guy calls me and he's like, well, can you find me the real estate lawyer? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. But I'm really busy because we all are really busy and I don't pick up the phone and I don't phone, you know, lawyer one who doesn't have capacity or it's in Toronto or it's whatever. Then I lose the credibility on every other file that he right. might ever refer to me. So it's not just, hey, real estate is not my area. So yeah. hands off. No, if I'm going to extend that and if I'm going to say, look, I'm going to help. All I have to do is connect you. But I have to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, no more files to me, even if they're in my area. Yeah. Yeah. And I think lots of people forget about that relationship piece. Yeah. So Heather, you and I, you were, when I was at Dentons, you were the first partner to take me up on the offer of doing podcasting, right. which was a, a novel ideal at Dentons when I started, first started there. <laughs> yes. We're such a big firm. Why don't we have a podcast? So you talk about your network, your friends and those relationships build up, but you know, having supported hundreds of partners at Denton's, you were one of the very few that I would say went above and beyond that for business development. So podcast is one of that. And I keep bringing that because I brought that (laughs) to the table and you've took me up on that offer. So I'm going to keep talking about that. But aside from podcasting, you're involved in a lot of events. You're out talking, you're out meeting people. uh, You're getting invited to speak at different conferences. That component, I feel like you got to keep like, those are good examples of how you keep moving forward and progressing on the business development side. So how do you, like, how do you, what are some of the things that you just get out there and, 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 you know, keep your profile and people keep reaching out to you? Like, what are some of the key things aside from podcasting? Cause we're doing that right now, but like, what else are you doing to ensure you're top of mind? Yeah. So good question. And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ignore the podcast because I think it has been important and, and significant. And one of the reasons for that, as, as you said, is it's this requirement to stay top of mind. So you don't kind of like the day, you know, you don't pick the day that the bus is going to hit you. You yep. don't pick the day that you're going to have a stroke in the elevator. You don't know those things. You don't necessarily know when you're going to need your lawyer, or you don't necessarily know when your friend, when you're going to hear your friend say, Oh, I have this legal problem or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you have to stay top of mind because people don't necessarily need you on the day that, you know, you reach out to them. So again, I think it's all about those um, relationships and continuing to nurture those relationships. And and the podcast has been great because of course we started that during the pandemic when you couldn't go out for lunch with people, yep. you couldn't, you know, speak at conferences. 
And it was like marketing from home, right? It was like a way everybody loves to talk about their business and they love to talk about how they've solved a problem. And what I've, what I've done. So one of the things that I have, I've done a lot of speaking at accelerator programs. So people will get into an accelerator. Entrepreneurs will, will get into an accelerator program and there'll be a cohort of them and they won't all necessarily be of the same, um, in the same business, but if they have an HR problem, doesn't really matter what industry and you might have an HR problem too. And you can learn from each other about, well, that might've worked for me, or I have some ideas that I can, you know, take from there. And I think it's that storytelling. It's the, it's the ability like, Hey, the guy in the elevator that had the stroke, well, that can happen to anybody. And so that's now it's relevant to people. And so I think people love to talk about their business. It's a way to stay in touch with them. People were so happy when I would reach out to them and say, do you want to be my podcast? Yes, I'd love to. And I'd love to tell my story about this. Great. Let's make that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a way people, people, um, they responded to being interviewed. They responded to being asked to tell their story because sometimes in the day to day, you don't have the opportunity to tell your story. And, And so it's a platform for them to be able to do that. But then what happened from that, of course, is people would hear that and then they'd reach out to me and they'd be like, oh, you interviewed so-and-so and and I heard you, I heard them talk about this problem they have. I have that problem too. Can you help me solve that problem? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, that spirals. Uh, People that we interviewed then asked me to speak at different conferences. And so it just, it's just sort of organic that the more content you have, the more people associate your name with being able to help sort of solve this problem. And then I think you have to be really diligent about, you know, if somebody says, Hey, can you like speak at this conference? Mm, Well, if it's a conference I actually know nothing about, I probably shouldn't because I don't want to waste my credibility in front of Mm. people who actually are in that industry and know what, what I don't want them to find out that I don't know actually what I'm talking about. So you need to be really tight about how is this good? Why is it good? Do I have the expertise to do it? And do I think that there will be in the audience or, on, among the panel or whatever, that there'll be other opportunities, you know, to connect with people. And one of the conferences that I recently spoke at, I, I co-presented with a client who was an accountant and we talked about how to roadmap your business. Well, there's some accounting things you should do. There's some legal things to do. And it was, it was great because when, when else do you get the chance to, cause, cause you know, people will come to me and I'll be like, well, did you talk to your accountant? They're like, no, 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 I just need to talk to you. And it's like, no, but now because I co-presented, I know, hey, you should talk to your account about these three things before right. we pull the trigger. Yeah. So, you know, look for those opportunities to work with clients, with professionals, with other people. Again, how do I make you look good? I made this accountant look good because, mm-hmm. you know, she was part of that discussion. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is I, a lot of lawyers that I speak to when it comes to business development they look at it and say, well, that doesn't apply to my practice. And I look at your podcast, which is, you know, we titled it uh, Women in Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Yep. Yes, they're female entrepreneurs and, you know, you service those clients. But a lot of topics we talked about, there wasn't really legal around that. And I think that's where people need to understand, like, it's about the attention. It's about like, you know, things that you can talk about that's in your wheelhouse, but it might not necessarily be legal related, but it's still very valuable. Well, and it's still, you know, like some of the, some of the coming from that podcast, I was asked to be on an advisory board for a company that was a friend, you know, a friend of Mm -hmm. of somebody that we interviewed. And there's, there's all kinds of opportunities from like, it might not be a specific legal problem, but they know that you either have some expertise in an area that's related to what they have, or you have some connections to people and they're looking to build their advisor, you know, to build their team of trusted advisors. 
and you fit that profile because of the the content, because of the exposure that you've had um, through that venue. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I want to chat with you about is the outlook of the legal profession. This is always an interesting topic to me because you're starting to see some professional services get automated yep. or, and I wouldn't say hundred percent replaced, but you have some solutions now where it's AI driven, right? Machine learning is being able to do certain things now. I don't need to hire a person. What's your outlook on the legal profession from that angle? Because um, I'm assuming you're still going to be practicing for a few more years here, Heather. I, I, I think so. <laughs> that is the plan. Um, so I don't think that AI is ever going to completely replace, or maybe it, maybe not in my lifetime, is ever going to completely replace the need for advisors, for, for lawyers. And the reason, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I think we, we cannot shut our eyes to the fact that AI is here. And that would be a right. huge mistake if we were like, oh no, there's no threat to us. Cause there's definitely a, th a threat, but it's also a massive opportunity. And I think, you know, tech is here. Uh, every business incorporates some element of tech. And I think as time goes on more and more tech. And so you can't ignore it and you can streamline, you can become a lot more efficient in how you do your business by incorporating some tech. And so I think that that's the opportunity. That's the benefit. But when you think about why you come to a lawyer, and again, this is a generalization, it doesn't fit 100% of the, the situations, is people are looking to mitigate their risk and to manage their risk. And I don't think AI can do that. So even if AI says, okay, you're in a construction uh, industry, here's a list of, of uh, risks. AI doesn't know necessarily which ones are more or less prevalent, obvious, in your particular business, right? they don't know, AI doesn't know if you've been sued for this particular thing. AI might not know the case that was released yesterday about this. They might not know. And, and so people are looking to mitigate their risk, but they're looking to mitigate their risk contractually, for example. So they want to include a clause in their construction contract that deals with how to potentially mitigate or allocate the risk. When you think about a, a, a large transaction, so mergers, acquisitions, company A is buying company B, Lots of that transaction is around the allocation of risk. So if I buy this company and something bad happens, who bears economically the risk of that you know, potential um, outcome? And I don't know that AI has just the relationships and the, the ability to navigate that. It can maybe help you generate a whole list of things so you can start asking some questions. Mm. But I don't, so that could be the starting point. Right. But I think you still need the human element um, to populate that and to, to you know, to, to test it yep. um, and to help the humans, because it's humans who are doing the transaction, decide what amount of risk they're willing and prepared to accept. So if, if the AI, if the bot was like, okay, 50% of the risk should go to party A and 50% should go to party B, are the parties prepared to agree to that? What if they're not? Then what? Then right. what's plan B? So if that's, you know, some econometrician tells you that that's the right outcome, I wouldn't have a job if people were like, oh, that's logical. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> that's not the way it works. That's not the way humans respond to that's things. That's not the way humans respond. Yeah. So I think I think there's always going to be a need for the humans. But I think that does mean that you can't think, you don't be a bot. You yeah. have to focus on the relationship. You have to focus on getting the people's trust even more than you did before. Because if they were just looking for a, a, a laundry list, yeah. they can get that from a bot. It's crazy, yeah. I, you and I were at an event last year, and I think one of the clients had said, uh, AI will not replace lawyers, but lawyers who don't leverage AI 
will be replaced. Will be replaced. And I, that one really hit me. Like, it was yep. like, yeah, that's true. that's true. And it's just another tool for you to be more efficient at your job. And, you know, to your point, meeting that client excellence. Right. And what ways and what tools do you have to you know, be that much better? Well, and I think I think to the point about um, how do you keep your clients? Like, how, how do you how do you demonstrate value? How do you, how do you compete with AI? Well, AI is going to give you a laundry list, but I'm going to help you implement, or I'm going to help you understand mm -hmm. why maybe this outcome is a little bit different or whatever. Right. And I, I don't think, I don't think AI is there to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. Well, Heather, this was, uh, this is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much fun. for, yeah. Thank you so much for coming by. Um, definitely love to have you back on. There's a lot we can talk about in the legal field. There is. There's a lot of ha there's a lot happening in the world where I feel like got to get that legal angle, get your opinion. You on let me know, and I will be here. Will do. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, and don't forget to check out our website convosmedia.co for content to help build your business. And if you're a business professional looking for different ways to grow your practice, don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to work with you to show you how digital content can be leveraged for your business development initiatives. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll catch you in the next one.